Sometimes we keep it in the form of just an old rugged piece of wood. Sometimes we pretty it up and make it very ornate, hang it high where everybody can see. Sometimes we make it out of metal and hang it around our necks. Sometimes we might even hang it on the rearview mirror of the car. Some folks get hung up on what it should look like, whether or not we should wear it, where is it okay to hang it. Folks, i just be real honest with you. I figure any time we can see it to remind ourselves is a good thing. You want to put it on a ring, you want to put it on a necklace, you want to put it on the front door of your house, it's all good. Because I don't think we, we can allow ourselves to ever forget what it's all about. Every reminder is a good reminder. The cross defines who we are as believers. The cross defines for us Jesus' sacrifice, the purpose of His coming. The cross defines for us God's love for us, His redemptive plan. As you know, God created man and they hung out together in the garden. They were close. They were friends. They walked together and talked together. And then man messed that up. And once man messed that up, man was separated from God because of sin. And generation after generation, each of us has been separated from God by sin. But God loved us too much to allow that separation to continue. And so He sent Jesus to die on that old rugged cross that we might be redeemed to Him. Now let's go ahead and all say we're glad we're inside, right? <laughs> we're glad we're inside right now so we can just relax. And let's journey together back to that old rugged cross. Because this morning I want us to start a conversation. I want us to hear again the words of Jesus as He hung on the cross, as He said the most important things that he had to say in his ministry, in his purpose, in his coming. You know what we do? A lot of times when somebody dies, we, we get together and we think about that person, we remember them, we share memories, we talk about them. And almost every time we have that conversation right after a loved one dies, one of the things we talk about is the last words we heard that loved one say. Beloved, I want us to love Jesus so much that we want to hear the last words and remember them and talk about them. We're going to start today and we're going to take a journey from now till Easter. Each week we're going to hear Him speak again. And each week we're going to get a, a different perspective on God's 
great love for us and the great sacrifice that Jesus made as a demonstration of that love. This morning we're going to start with the first statement that Jesus made. We're going to find it in Luke 23. If you join me in Luke 23, we're going to focus on verse 34. But I do want to back up just a little bit and show you a little bit of context. In Luke chapter 23, start at verse 32. Two others also, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place called the skull, that is Calvary or Golgotha, the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, one the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. Let's hear with fresh ears those words this morning. Pretend that we've never talked about it before. Pretend that we've never heard them before. What is that, what is, what do the sound of those words do to our minds and our hearts? As we've journeyed up that dark hill, that hill that was the shape of death, the shape of a skull, we've journeyed up to the top of that skull and we see Jesus hanging on the cross, hanging literally because he's been attached there by nails already wearing the crown of thorns and remarkably he speaks it's remarkable because the Bible says that you could not even recognize him at this point he had been beaten so badly that if you looked at him you couldn't tell who he was how then could one in that state hanging on the cross by nails Speak. He spoke because the words were of that great importance. And as he speaks, we hear the first things that he said were, the first words he spoke were, Father, forgive them. As we hear those words, I want you to recognize that Jesus demonstrated some important things for us. First, he demonstrates that prayer, he demonstrates prayer as a ministry. He shows us that prayer is a ministry. Jesus had done miraculous things as the the sick were, were coming. Jesus would touch them. The leper came and, and, you know, when a leper comes near you, you you stay on the other side of the street. Matter of fact, by law, if if he saw someone anywhere in his vicinity, he had to hold his hands up and scream loudly, 
unclean, unclean, so the people could avoid him and not get that leprosy. You don't, you don't get anywhere near a leper, but when the leper came needed to be healed, Jesus, instead of just throwing his power down the street, instead of just speaking and it being done, Jesus touched him. We can assume that no one had touched that leper in a very long time. Jesus knew that he needed more than the physical healing. He needed also the emotional healing that comes with human contact with a physical touch. Jesus chose the Almighty who could have done anything any way He chose. He chose to touch. And How many times do we see in Scripture that He touched those that He healed, but now He could never touch again His hands nailed to that cross. He can't touch with those hands anymore. His feet carried him from town to town, from village to village. His feet even carried him, you remember one time, his feet carried him across the water. He can't walk anywhere anymore. His feet now are nailed to that wood. He can't touch, he can't walk. He can't preach, he can't heal, he can't do all the things that we see in the Gospels that he used to do. But he still has a ministry. He can still pray. And as he hangs on the cross, the very first thing he does, the first thing that, that we have recorded is that he prays. Don't tell me that you're too old to be involved in ministry. Don't tell me that because you're in a wheelchair you can't do ministry. Don't tell me because of arthritis or because of blindness or deafness or any other physical ailment. Don't tell me that you can't. Because Jesus shows us that prayer itself is a ministry. He couldn't do any of the things he'd always done except prayer. And you can always make a powerful difference in the life of others through the ministry of prayer. He taught us to pray for our enemies. And then he did that very thing. You remember, that's what he told us. Pray for your enemies. Love those who persecute you. And then he showed us what that looked like. He prayed for them. I guess the other thing that teaches us about the ministry of prayer is that no one is too far gone to need prayer. He is praying for the very people who drove the nails into his hands. He's praying for the very people who led an entire nation away from God instead of to God. He's praying for the very people who lied, who conducted fake trials, who chose his execution 
even though all he did was take care of them. And he prays for those kind of people? Beloved, I know there's somebody in your life who's gone astray. There's somebody in your life that you know, that you love, and they just don't get it, and they don't want to get it. They're tired of hearing you talk about it. And I'm going to say to you, as long as you have breath, you keep praying for that loved one. Because Jesus shows us that no one is too far gone to need prayer. Jesus demonstrates in these first words the fact that prayer is a ministry. But then he also demonstrates for us forgiveness as a priority. He demonstrates forgiveness as a priority. The first thing that he says, what would be the first thing that one of us would say? We would talk about our pain if we could talk at all. We might, we might speak out in anger at those evil people doing evil things to us. I can't imagine that the first thing I would say would be forgive. But for Jesus, that was the priority. The first thing he said, Father, forgive them. You don't know what they're doing. His top priority. And it seems to me that if we're going to take his name and call ourselves Christians, which means little Christ, it seems to me if we're going to take his name, then perhaps his priorities should be our priorities. And perhaps we should take him seriously when he teaches us to forgive. And then he demonstrated it and showed it to us. Forgiveness as a priority. But then he also demonstrated intercession as an activity. Intercession means to pray on someone else's behalf. And here's what caught my attention as I thought through his words this week. He says, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. And what caught my attention was the fact that he asked God to forgive them. How many times have we seen in the scriptures where Jesus forgave people himself? Matter of fact, he got in trouble for that more than once. He would say to someone, your sins are forgiven. And the Pharisees would get all upset. Who are you to forgive? You can't forgive. Only God can forgive. And Jesus said, while I'm on the earth, I have authority to forgive sins. Why now, instead of, why doesn't he just say, all of you are forgiven? Why now does he pray, Father, forgive them? I think there's a couple of reasons. One, because they were not only sinning against Jesus, they were sinning against the Father. 
And I think Jesus' forgiveness of them is assumed and understood. And he now prays the Father would forgive them. But I think on a deeper level, he intercedes, prays to the Father to forgive them because he has now assumed our place. And in so doing, he has set aside the authority that he once had. He now is the just dying for the unjust. He represents humanity. And so as humanity, he prays, Father, forgive them. Don't ever forget that what happened on the cross was not just God's Son dying for people. It was God's Son dying the death that people should die. The wages of sin is what? You tell me. The wages of sin is? And Jesus says, I love you so much, I won't make you pay your wages. I'll pay them for you. And he becomes our sin. Setting aside some of that authority. And so now he must pray and intercede for us. Father, forgive them. Intercession is an activity. And so we, we participate on a daily basis interceding for someone. To intercede means the person is here, God is there, and I'm going to stand in the gap and pray for them. We intercede for the people in our lives every day. We participate in that activity as we follow his example. He also demonstrates for us atonement as a necessity. He demonstrates for us here that atonement is a necessity. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they are doing. Don't miss the timing of this prayer. He could have prayed that same prayer any of the 33 years he lived. Because all the people around him all the time needed forgiveness. Don't miss the fact that he is praying that prayer while dying on the cross. Because he is saying, as I die on the cross, I am, I am the sacrificial lamb. I am making atonement for their sin. Therefore, now that I'm making this atonement, now forgiveness can be a reality for them. Therefore, Father, forgive them. That's why he didn't pray it before, because he had not yet died for us. Now that he is dying for us, he can say, Father, forgive. You see, atonement was a necessity. In Hebrews 9 and 22, it says, in fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed by blood, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. No forgiveness unless there's atonement. No forgiveness unless blood is shed. Jesus is shedding his blood, and therefore, he says, now is the time, Father, forgive As he speaks this first statement, 
He demonstrates that prayer as a ministry, he demonstrates forgiveness as a priority. He demonstrates intercession as an activity. He demonstrates atonement as a necessity. And he demonstrates love as a reality. In some versions, the first word of verse 34 is then. In the New American Standard, from which I read, the first word is but. Either way, it is a conjunction that ties verse 34 to the previous verse. They came to the place called the skull. There the crucified him and the criminals, one on the right, the other on the left. Then Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. After they had done their worst, he said, Father, forgive them. After they treated him in the worst way imaginable, after they had rebelled against God's plan, God's purpose, God's person, after they had done their worst, he said, Lord, Father, forgive them. Because love is a reality for him. On that old rugged cross, he says to the people below and to the world throughout the ages, I love you. And I'm proving it. He suffered unspeakable shame excruciating pain. He was despised, rejected, hated, abused, mocked, unfairly executed, and yet he cries out, Father, forgive them. That's love. Lord, we do thank you for your love for us. Father, we thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for sending your son that we might be made right with you again. We ask, Lord, that you'd help each of us this morning to hear his words again and to receive the grace and the love that come through those words. May we be changed by it for all eternity. Lord, I ask your Holy Spirit now to direct our attention to Jesus and his love for us. And as we consider that love, if there is some action you would have us to take, some step you'd have us to make, Lord, I pray that you'd help us to know what it is you want us to do and help us to be obedient in response to your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Our students are going to lead us as we sing together. And as we do, I just want to encourage you, if you've never accepted Christ's love for you, you've never entered into a personal relationship with Him, let today be the day that you can say for sure, I know Jesus, I'm loved by Him, and I know that I'm going to spend the rest of eternity with Him. You, we can do that if you just come and let us pray with you. You put your faith in Jesus then you can know from now on that you belong to Him. 
Someone else may say, today is the day that I need to join the church or I'm ready to be baptized or God's calling me to missions or ministry. Come and let us know about it. We want to share that and celebrate it with you. Let me ask you if you would stand with us and let's sing together. If God calls you to come to make a decision in a public way, come on, come quickly, come proudly.